are here. We are here. And Arun, you're looking chubby as ever. Thank you, sir. There you go. Well, Larry, bro, I, I elated to have you on the show, but first and foremost, I am happy you're healthy. When you told me you had rhabdo, I Googled it. I freaked out. Yeah, and I have never, I was in the same boat as you when you probably heard about rhabdo. I'd never heard of it before. I hadn't heard of it before at all. Like, yeah. As soon as you mentioned it, I was like, did he just call me a name? And I, I Googled it like immediately <laughs> afterward, and I was like, oh my God. The first thing that came up was kidney failure. Right. Yeah. And when I was at the ER, they said if I leave, that I was going to have kidney failure and die. Yeah. <laughs> Arun, Arun's so point I up said, like, yeah, oh, sign so, me out right now. Yeah. <laughs> it, the sad part is, man, traditional medicine, I, I was having, my wife is an RN, right? And we talk about this all the time. Like, we're like, hey, like, you know, you go to the hospital. They, they treat everybody with their, oh, God damn it. Come on. Arun. Arun. <laughs> Is this ASMR or is this podcast? He loves doing this every episode. As soon as I'm talking, he's got to drop some some kind of noise just to it's make usually sure. a beer, but yeah, it's usually a, a beer. Yeah. yeah, well, some one of us has to watch his figure. But in any event, so I, you know, I was talking to my wife about this stuff. It's like every doctor wants to like plug you into their specialty, and as soon as you start showing red flags, rather than look at it, they want to tell you like, "Hey, man, like you could die or you could this," and it, it's, there's more to it. So, quick story: my coach had a heart attack two years ago. Ryan Benson. Oh, my God. And he survived, right, obviously. Wow. And today, he got his results back from his latest echo mm. and stress test. And his doctor basically told him, well, your heart's performing at 55% efficiency, 50%, excuse me, and we want to see 55 or up. And Ryan goes, wow. okay. Um, and, well, how do I improve that? And the doctor says, well... If you feel any chest pain or shortness of breath, just come and see me. And that was it. Wow. That, that, that's the improvement <laughs> suggestion? Yes. So basically. Don't die. <laughs> don't die. Yeah. Doctors oh. are, wow. Just from what I was told at the ER, if you leave now, you're going to have kidney failure and die. I shit you not. That, it was word for word. If you leave now, you're going to have kidney failure and die. My coach here is, well, uh, can't think of anything to improve it, but if you're feeling shortness of breath or having chest pain, basically, if you're having a heart attack, come and see me. Wow. <laughs> now, how is my coach supposed to sleep at night? Yeah, you can't sleep at that. That's not, that's not uh, like. <laughs> Seriously, how you, can anyone getting that information go home and sleep? You know, it's tri- I, I, don't, I don't think Arun knows this. I was talking to uh, some people at the office today. There's a girl who works with us, 28 years old. She wasn't in the office today. And uh, she went to the hospital. She had some migraines last week. And nobody thought anything of it. She got some weird painkillers, which is weird for, like, a migraine, right? And uh, it turns out over the weekend, she had a stroke. Wow. And you're, like, 28 years old, had a stroke, went to the hospital. Like, was supposed to get seen. <sighs> and and nobody, so obviously we don't know why she had a stroke and like that, but it's weird. Like, you are your own best advocate. So I'm assuming at some point, like, when you got told you had rhabdo. Right. Like, you, you got your blood work numbers back. Did you, call, did you call someone and talk to them, or did you just take the doctor's advice? Like, where did you, where did you decide to leave? The ER? Yeah. Like, well, I decided once they basically just said, okay, well, here's some IV, here's some fluid, got you hydrated. And I was just thinking to myself in the hospital bed for hours, right? Yeah, right, yeah. After two, three bags, like, wait a minute. I came in here, I was pissing water. My, my piss is crystal clear. I don't have any muscle soreness or pain. I am not a rhabdo candidate. I am not by any means a typical rhabdo patient. Whereas, for example, my coach had a client that was admitted with rhabdo, and he was pissing blood, practically. It was, like, black. 
and he had just trained biceps and chest after taking off three years from the gym, suddenly coming back and going through a brutal routine uh, from my coach. Mm. That's what induced the rhabdo, right? And with me, there was no muscle soreness or pain. I was not pissing black. I was actually in exceptional health, according to my blood work, outside of the slightly elevated CK levels mm. of only 2,500. That person I was talking about that was admitted with rhabdo was at 80,000. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so that's a big difference. That's an enormous difference. And yeah. I was experiencing none of the symptoms. On top of that, that same person did not experience any lightheadedness or dizziness, which was the main reason I admitted myself. Mm. I didn't have any pain. It was just this persisting lightheadedness that was not going away. And it was, I couldn't explain it. So that fear of the unknown induced anxiety, made me panic, and I put myself in the ER. But knowing what that client of my coach went through and his symptoms that were nothing like mine, he said he felt no lightheadedness, no dizziness, nothing relatable to what I was experiencing, told me, you know what, I'm gonna take my chances with another doctor. I don't believe oh, wow. the people here, I'm sorry. I'm going to take my chances with the kidney failure. I didn't die. I don't have kidney failure. I'm sitting here right now on this podcast in great health. So I'm I'm glad you didn't die. Yeah. (laughs) But when you first said it, man, I was like, wow. And then then like, I think it was like a day later you posted, or maybe that that night you posted that picture of you in the hospital. I was like, oh shit. Like, yeah, that, that, that was scary. I mean, you had to be scared at one point though. Oh, I was shitting bricks. I mean, look, outside of the lightheadedness and ditchiness, I've been using PDs for 10 years straight. And Joe Sedex just passed at a very, very young 30 years old and seemingly exceptional health. I mean, he looked in incredible shape. Right. Everybody who worked out with the guy said he was the nicest guy ever. That's what hurts, you know. But whether someone's nice or not nice, it's not nice to see someone so young pass away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did have that hereditary condition where he had those muscle spasms, mm-hmm. which yeah. I tell myself, to sleep better at night is part of the reason why what happened happened. Um, but, yeah, I mean, because that just happened just a mere couple weeks ago, and then now I'm experiencing these this lightheadedness, dizziness feeling that I've never experienced before, right? And then, like you said, you know your body better than anyone, mm-hmm. right? I know I've never felt this way before, you know? So I knew yeah. there was something wrong, and I couldn't explain why. So that fear of the unknown induced big anxiety, and I just had to go to the ER to figure out what was going on. And all I can think about was Joe died at 30 and I'm 28. That may have been a blessing in disguise, though, when you think about it. Like, had you not have been so, like, anxious about it, you may not have gone, right? Like, you may have tried to, like, push through. Right, right. Exactly, you know? Um, and what induced that feeling was mixing Kratom and alcohol. Mm. You know, I went last week to Arizona, Scottsdale, and I went to Vegas just a couple of days after, both work trips, so yeah. totally justified. And <laughs> That's our time. Uh, <laughs> don't we all? Yeah. Ended up mixing alcohol and Kratom, not knowing any better. I was ignorant to the fact. No one told me, hey, by the way, idiot, don't mix alcohol and Kratom. I just did it. I wouldn't have known that. Right, I, I, I legitimately would not have known that you couldn't mix the two. And um, I'm with a company, White Rabbit, and it's a Kratom seltzer, microdose Kratom. Mm-hmm. And I have a can a day. And I don't exceed that because if I have a can and a half, for example, I get lightheaded and dizzy. So in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, it could be some kind of creating withdrawal. But then again, I have my guys who are white rabbit that don't experience any kind of withdrawal. And they take it for several days at a time and then take off from it. But they never mix it with alcohol. 
So there must have been some kind of reaction with mixing the two, which is why it's advised not to. But I just didn't imagine it would take damn near a week for it to stop because it was persisting for several days, damn near a week, before I started to feel better. Like As of yesterday, I felt like my normal self again. There was no lightheadedness, no dizziness. Hit legs today, chilling, feel great. I was, I was going to ask if you started training back again yet. Yeah, I just yeah. hit 500 for 10 on the bench yesterday, so I feel strong as an ox. Okay. 12 is my all-time best, so I'm just right there. And hit legs. Legs is a real t- t- tester, though. If you, if you can hit legs, push yourself during leg day, like, you're in good health. That's the endurance test, too, <laughs> yeah. That's the stress it. test. <laughs> Man, so uh, I'm glad you're healthy, and I'm, I'm glad that you at least know what it is. I mean, can you imagine the uncertainty of not knowing for, like, a prolonged period of time? I no, couldn't. Yeah. I mean, it was... I legit thought I could die because, like, if you just suddenly have dizziness and lightheadedness, you start Googling it. Well, that can mean you're having a heart attack. Being a Google doctor is the worst thing you can do, but that's exactly the first thing I did. <laughs> I was Googling my symptoms, and the first thing you see on the heart attack is dizzy lightheadedness. I mean, it could be <laughs> it could mean so many things, dude. I, I I'll take a small sidebar to tell you a story. It was met, so I started bleeding like rectally years ago. Right, I had I didn't, it turned out being like a broken tailbone, like the bone pushed through. But I started googling like blood rectum. The stuff that came up on Google, man, was like colon cancer, like all sorts of cancers. I'm like, I'm dying. I thought for a week and a half I was dying because you had to go see the doctor, you have to go get X-rays and MRIs and scans. Google's the devil, bro. Like I'm telling you, you can. The worst part about it is, is you can learn a lot if you find like the right information at the right time. But if you don't know enough detail and you get on the path, <laughs> it could be dark. Going down that rabbit hole, it's dangerous. And then, as I just told you earlier, when I went to the ER, what they told me, and then what they told my coach, when he went to the mm-hmm. doctor, like, they just tell you like really bad news. That's why we generally scare, uh, fear going to the doctor. Well, it's an insurance liability thing too. Yeah, like they're now concerned with okay, if I have to give them the worst case scenario, because if it's not that, then I can get sued. Right. Everybody wants ah. to sue everybody. Man, that's that's the wild thing about all this stuff. I was so I just switched to Transcend for TRT. Okay, um, I work with them. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah. So I figured, um, and working with them was so different for me because when I went there and I started talking to them, they were so much more willing to like talk to me about stuff like peptides and. Every other clinic I've ever been to was like, yeah, we can't do that. The most we can give you is 100 milligrams. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure my blood work calls for more of that. And they're just trying to keep you in that safe zone, man. Like, uh, Even it, if it's not right. No, it's not right. It's just traditional medicine, right, which may or may not be, like, well-studied. But I did I did want to ask you, man. So you, you are so open and candid about, like, just PED use and everything else. And I honestly, I think it's, it's a breath of fresh air. I think it's incredible. And, I, I mean... Do you think in this day and age that, that it still hurts brands or makes people feel different? Because, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger's like rarely come out and talked about it, right? Mm-hmm. And during his era and, like, the Stallone's era and, like, kind of the vintage golden era of bodybuilding, a lot of people never came out and talked about that usage. It's only now that they're starting to talk a little bit more, more about it. Do you think people care the same way they used to, or do you think it's a healthy message? Like, kids should know, right? I think that the information needs to be out there, and we, the ones that are at the forefront of the industry have a responsibility to educate the youth, the next generation. And if we withhold the information, they're going to go out there, be Google scientists and chemists Mm -hmm. and think they have the right answer only because they can't find the right answer from their peers. So they have to find it their own way. Like I did when I was 17, I went on T nation and bodybuilding.com and said, what's a beginner cycle look like? Oh. And it looks like 
X yeah. amount of tests and this and that. It's like a proper drug cocktail. Now, 10 years later, I realize you need a shockingly little amount mm -hmm. to get a dramatic result. And there's vastly diminishing returns that I wish I knew way back when. Not only that, but I would take trinacetate, for example, years ago for eight to 16 weeks. Wow, and that's then wild. when I hit my all-time best deadlift last year, 930 for three, all-time best right. at any body weight, I only took it for three days. Wow. I wish I knew 10 years ago. So this is why it's so important for people in my position to tell the youth what we're experiencing, what we've learned along the way, because the kids are going to use it regardless. So why not let them yeah. use it responsibly? That's true. And that's that's a part about the golden era of bodybuilding I didn't understand. Like, I didn't understand why it was so taboo, especially when so many dudes and everybody were in Europe where it was legal. And people had the opportunity to get cycles. And, well, I will say now in the U.S. that there's not only is there, like, a more, I guess, accepting culture, but there's also way better technology. Like, I don't know about you, but I get blood tested all the time now. Agreed. Like every I, quarter. Yeah, I get t blood tested all the time. Every quarter. Every time I make a change, it's usually for the first couple months, and then it's every quarter. Like, I, you feel confident that you know, like, your blood work after a certain point. Yeah, you have peace of mind, and that's priceless. Nothing is yeah. more valuable than your peace of mind. And I have a blood phobia. I have to literally wear a blindfold when I get my blood, blood drawn. You're kidding, if really? If I look at my blood, I get queasy and pass out. How are you doing the TRT needle then? That's like an inch long. That's that's the needle that scares me. Hey, going in, no problem. Coming out, is I get white. I remember wow. when I was in Dubai, I had my blood drawn, and she was making blood jokes, and I wanted to strangle her. I'm like, oh, I forgot to tell you. Like, don't say the B word. Oh. <laughs> Even the B word triggers that pale face, lightheadedness, like everything. I got cold and clammy. I mean, I was like damn near passing out. Just because she mentioned the B word and I looked over and I just saw it, like, even just thinking about it makes me, but regardless of the fact of how I feel about that, like someone like me that has a fucking legit phobia, yeah. I still get it done. Yeah, of know? course. I mean, you have to. If, if you're doing what we're doing, you just kind of got you got to do it. You know, and point being that those that don't have a phobia, like, why are you not going? You know, if I didn't have a phobia, I'd get it done even more often. You I know? think people think it's more expensive and more cumbersome than it is. It's not. It's right, not that expensive. Man. And there's like websites you can go to. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not affiliated, but Labs MD is a great one. You can literally order your own labs, get them pulled all the time. But so look, a lot of people who, who don't know your background who listen to the show. We do a lot of financial literacy. I would love for you to explain, you know, how you got into the fitness business. Obviously, you've got world records as a power lifter. You've you've recently kind of pivoted a little bit more towards bodybuilding, which should be a fucking guaranteed lock for you when you go down that path. I mean, physique's incredible. But I mean how did you get to where you're at today? Like, where did it start, and how did, how did Larry Wheels become Larry Wheels? Great. So the origin story is when I was 14, I got into fitness because it stemmed from a dark place. I was having low self-esteem, bullying. I had an abundance of free time. I was taken from New York City at the time with my mom, and she took me down to St. Martin. Mm. And while I was down there, for about two and a half years, I wasn't able to go to school because there was only one English school in the island and it was wow. private and she couldn't afford to take me there. Wow. So what that meant is I got to sit at home and play video games because <laughs> if I wanted to go out and play, the kids were at school. Yeah. I can't play with any kids, right? What am I supposed to do? And the internet was really slow, so it was super boring. It's an island. I get it. Yeah. You know? But then when they were out... There was a lot of bullying going on. They thought that I was rich because I was from New York City, mm. right? But meanwhile, my mom is putting us in this tiny two-bed 
you know, uh, and then they're living in like these castles, right? And they mm-hmm. think, I, we're the rich people. But anyways, that led on to a lot of bullying. And then, because I was so skinny at that age on top of it, um, it just, I had terrible self-esteem. Um, and I think most teenagers battle this at some point in their teenage yeah. life. I know I did. A room battles every time we do the show. Yeah. <laughs> you're looking great yeah. back there, yeah. buddy. No, Keep it not. up. No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so with the mixture of that just being, that made the perfect storm for me to get into fitness because I wanted mm-hmm. to work on my self-esteem and I wanted to stop the bullying. So I ended up getting a broomstick and center blocks and doing bicep curls and bench press because that's what I can learn off of YouTube that I need big biceps and chest to look good and be wow. strong. And that's I couldn't crazy. go to a gym because you had to be 16 yeah, to go gyms, to a gym. Commercial gyms, yeah. You know, and I wasn't going to let that stop me. So I made do with the cards I've been dealt. Started doing some push-ups, bicep curls. I was able to convince my mom to spend like the last of her money on a pull-up bar in my door frame. And it was a great investment for her because I remember when I was 15 or so after about a year of training and I was consistent because I had nothing else to do. And I was really determined to like build myself up both physically and mentally. Did you love it immediately? I love the results. Right. Okay. The process was okay. I mean, bodybuilding, even to this date, now that I'm getting back into it, the training is a chore. But it's not the same as powerlifting, right? It's not. Yeah. It's not that instant gratification of, okay, from my first exercise, I'm slaying mm-hmm. some big weight, and I'm feeling strong, I'm building my ego, and I'm building my strength. I'm seeing numbers increase. With bodybuilding, the reward is later, after mm-hmm. the workout, when you see yourself in the mirror, and you notice, oh, that looks a bit bigger and fuller than the other day. Or, oh, like, I see more lines than last time. Like, damn, yeah. I'm looking, like, really good. But during the workout, it's, it's just you're losing lightweight, and you have to control your tempo. Like my instinct tells me to move weight from point A to B as explosively as possible and to do the most amount of weight that I can do in that way. Mm. In bodybuilding, it's the opposite. It's okay, make this little weight as challenging as possible, more time under tension, focus on the contraction. It has to be textbook perfect form every rep. And it's just, it's a chore to be honest. I don't enjoy it nearly as much as powerlifting, but I enjoy the results. Yeah, uh, when my when I see these lagging body parts develop, they get fuller, rounder, and more defined, more lines. When I'm changing aesthetically, that's rewarding. So it's just a different. It's just a bit different in that regard. So back then, after a year, I noticed significant change in my body, and that change, those results were addicting. I imagine it can be said for any other endeavor if it's business even like as you're making more and more money scaling up higher and higher like that's addicting like just overcoming seeing the results like that's the fun part um so when i came back to the states at 16 17 i was able to join a gym and the person who was coaching me through the gym like teaching me what to do how to work out how to eat was a powerlifter he was mm-hmm. a veteran he'd served in uh, the military for four years. He was doing powerlifting while he was in service, and he taught me about powerlifting. He said, "Okay, you basically just test your one at max every couple of months, and that's it." It wasn't really for him. He said it's kind of boring. He preferred bodybuilding, mm. but to me, it sounded like a blast. Oh, I just got to get stronger every couple of months. That sounds amazing. Um, because by that age, I was already happy with my body. I was sixteen, seventeen, like six foot one. I was tall. Um, I was shredded. 
I was probably about 210 or so. You did I mean, puberty, had incredible genetics. I yeah. Mean, you, I, you walked into what was great for your platform, not even knowing it when you were 14. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's a real skinny, hard game that developed the best physiques in bodybuilding. Yeah. Yeah. And also have the easiest time becoming a bodybuilder because you have more flexibility with dieting. You know, I know bodybuilders oh, yeah. that were used to be hard gainers that can essentially eat whatever they want and stay single-digit body fat. Where there mm -hmm. are some bodybuilders that are coming from the other end of the spectrum that have a that are genetically prone to be overweight, so they have to watch what they eat even more than the bodybuilders that are hard gainers and struggle to put on weight. Yeah, it's a benefit. It's a blessing in bodybuilding. Absolutely. So by that time, I was sixteen, seventeen. Um, I would start doing powerlifting and i noticed with just a few months of training i was the strongest guy in any gym i walked into i was putting up four plates on the bench squatting deadlifting like four or five plates with piss poor technique and very little experience in those specific lifts which is raw talent though so I mean, yeah, exactly i mean you're was, pushing up four plates at that age period there's talent absolutely and yeah. i recognize that early yeah. on I recognized that I had something that could be harnessed. I had yeah. potential. So what I would do is I would compare and contrast myself to other people that were a little bit older than me, mm -hmm. let's say between 18 and 23, juniors in powerlifting, like Eric Lillybridge, Pete Rubish, Chris Hickson, Chris Hickson, RIP. And I saw that I was knocking on their door when they were my age. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know what? If I give this everything, it's very realistic for me to think I could be where they are at if not further along right so i decided to go on peds because my friend at the time who was teaching me about powerlifting and my workout partner was using and he put me on but it wasn't so simple because i knew that decision was a lifetime commitment i knew once mm -hmm. i started with my addictive personality on top of it that i'm never going to stop for better or worse and I knew this because from 15 or 16, basically from 16, the minute I got back to the States and we met, he was also a party animal. So we were experimenting with all kinds of drugs, ketamine, meth, everything, right? Except heroin. Yeah. Everything except heroin. Try heroin once though, right? So maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> so we, <laughs> we experimented lots of drugs. We were partying literally every other day. And I knew... I was going to end up in a bad place because he ended up mm. going homeless as a result. How old are you at this time? At this time, I was about 17 or so. Wow. Super were you, young. Were you going back to school at that point, too, when you came back to the States? So by that time, I had already left school and got my GED. Okay. Right? Because had I went back to school and did the traditional route, I would have been graduating high school at 21. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. was so far behind. And it was just. Yeah, you weird. got the two years and everything else when you the time you get back. Plus, you moved a lot. I would have been a Neanderthal in school. There's no way I was putting myself through that embarrassment. Like, I could go <laughs> off about how traditional school doesn't cater to, like, it cheats everybody the same. And that's just not how kids learn. Yeah, right. It's, it's just not. So, but. I don't so, think I missed out, except maybe socially. So yeah. I, got, I got in with a. Well, I could say that he was a bad influence. And yeah, but you also survived that, and look 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 who you become. I mean, right? I'm grateful for it though. Adversity builds a lot of character, man. Agreed. And you know, yes, and and the reward is that much sweeter because I know what it was like back then in the trenches. And when I saw him go homeless because he got addicted to meth, that's sad. Man. Yeah, and this is a guy working two or three jobs, strong morals. Right? He served in the military, so he served for our country, yeah. and he was doing that as an escape method because he was battling trauma. 
Yeah. He watched his whole platoon get blown up in a car in front of him, he said. So he's watched his own friends die. Wow. He'd kill people. I mean, he's like in his early 20s telling me this, right? And how so, do you expect a 20-year-old to, to deal with that when they get back? You know? I mean, drugs, I think, honestly, are like a natural evolution of that. Right. And people, that's the, that's the sad part about, like, I, I love or hate a lot of people when they talk about wars. There, there's that whole, like, hippie culture that war is never the answer. I got to be honest. In some cases, that's true. Even if you win, you still lose. Look what happens to some of these people. Right. You know? And he's not looked after by the government, even no. though he served our country. And so it was very sad to see that. But also I knew that he was going to be an anchor. And as much as I wanted to help him, I wasn't equipped to help him. Yeah. How do I help someone like that? You were too young. I couldn't help myself. Yeah. You know, so I said, okay, I went cold turkey and made the decision that, okay, I'm going to go on PEDs. And I'm going to pursue a career in powerlifting, not knowing powerlifting doesn't pay anything, right? The money comes <laughs> from social media. My biggest check as a powerlifter amongst three world records was a thousand dollars oh my god <laughs> yeah. so it wasn't powerlifting that paid and it and it still doesn't i mean was there any like sponsorship opportunity after you hit world records i mean was it significant enough to pay the bills i mean <laughs> it's true. i'm open so the most yeah. i ever got paid from a specific sponsorship directly related to powerlifting mm. was 750 dollars, and it was accessory company for wrist wraps elbow wraps knee wraps so they specialized in wow. lifting accessories and the most i got paid and i'm talking at this point i had well over a quarter million followers was 750 dollars. so i was making triple digits and that was monthly so oh my god yeah and uh it i i thank bradley a lot because when, uh, in late 2018 we met mm -hmm. and he put me on to doing my own bradley martin exactly bradley he's a marketing martin. genius man very underrated yeah very he's, underrated agreed with he's what a, he's able to do yeah i respect him to the moon yeah and you know what he's done um not taking any world records not being mr olympia you know just having that charisma and marketing ability he gets it he yeah. gets he gets how to push people out there's so many people that, that that i've just casually been following on social media that i realize are all intertwined back to him and when you think about that that that's true I don't know how you how you look at social media. Like, do you consider yourself to be like a like a like an influencer at this point? Oh, or, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, primarily, I see myself as an entertainer. Okay. Yeah. Because I've bounced around from so many different niches: powerlifting, bodybuilding, arm wrestling, strongman. Mm. And only f at the very beginning of my journey, between let's say eighteen and twenty three, which is the, when I really dialed back the powerlifting. I did, I think, one more meet after that, maybe at twenty five or so. And everything else outside of that since then has been either arm wrestling, bodybuilding, or strongman, or just straight up making content. Because mm -hmm. the content that pays, it's the content that gives me the exposure and the reach. Yeah, and it is valuable business value. Tool. Right, yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, at this point in time, like, are you scheduling it? Or, like, how, how are you handling the business behind you? Is it like every single day I have a plan to shoot content? And is, is it planned content? Or are you like, look, this is my life. I'm putting it out there. If it, people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. Right. And I would say nine times out of ten, we're wrong with how many numbers a particular video is going to produce. Wow. So we think we know this by now. It's been eight years that Adam and I, my videographer, mm -hmm. have been working together. And we've put out countless videos in countless different genres. And even now, most of the time, we get it wrong. We think, okay, this is going to be a banger, and it's not. Or we think this is going to be a flop, and it's a banger. So we just mm -hmm. don't always know. But... What we do know is that creativity is an abundant and unlimited resource, and we can always tap into it, and we're always going to be good. 
as long as we stay motivated, we can always tap into that creativity. And that's what all, that's what funds everything, right? And we'll plan two, three, four weeks ahead for collaboration. And it's probably a whole nother topic, but collaboration mm -hmm. is what keeps us afloat. When I decided to stop making those PR videos and chasing with records, I realized, okay, well, how do I stay relevant in the spotlight? Well, by giving others a spotlight, by using my platform and being more of a host, hosting people of extraordinary ability or talent or people that are trending, you know, giving them my platform. Maybe they're an unknown, relatively speaking, and maybe they're a micro-influencer or whatever, but they just don't have the exposure that they deserve. So I'm more than happy to be that person mm. to share the clout, bring them on, because then it's mutually beneficial. I'm getting a big video. They're getting exposure they want. So it's a win-win. And we collaborate with someone different every week, sometimes several times a week. You ever get tired of it? Not at all. Yeah. It's, all, it's very rewarding because the only time I think people get tired of anything in general is when it's the same thing over and over again, something that's monotonous. Like, let's say a nine-to-five, for example, when it's just predictable. I think we all crave, like, a mystery. Like, I don't know what's coming next week you know, the week after, yeah. you know, like, I don't know how that video is going to pan out necessarily. I don't know because it's usually someone new we're bringing on. Right. Mm. And we're picking their brain about how they got to where they are today, or we're showcasing a special talent or ability, whatever. So it's always something new, fresh. And like, it's exciting for me, the host and exciting for the audience. What was one of your favorite collabs that you've done? Thor training in Iceland for two months. That's an easy one. Really? Yeah. Just, he's larger than life. He's 6'9". At that time, in 2019, 440. Yeah, he's Being big. in Iceland, right? Yeah. I'm, I saw Iceland on the map when I was a kid in elementary. Like, I always want to go to that, a place called Iceland. It just sounds badass. You went for two months. I was there for two months. And, again, I cannot stress how surreal it is. To this day, being around someone not just that tall, because I meet tall people. Yeah, he's just huge. He's yeah, just he's a big person. Yeah, 450. You know, 450. Wow. Just think. So, but it wasn't just that either. It was, he's also the strongest man in the world at the time. Yeah. He deadlifted in front of me and about a dozen of his childhood friends and family, which was the coolest thing ever because his support system was unreal. A mm. uh, thousand and something pounds, like over for reps. He did two reps with it. Like, <laughs> this is just unreal. You know, and me... Um, <laughs> thinking to myself, uh, <laughs> just pulled up the clip, <laughs> and this is him when he's downside, yeah, like he's, 100 he's, pounds. He's, he's leaned out, yeah, he's slim here, yeah. You know, this is an aesthetic Thor, this is even like peak Thor in his final form. Oh my god, <laughs> that, that's unbelievable! Yeah, he, his wife's tiny, right? Isn't she? Yeah, and yeah. that's yeah, the memes yeah. with him are just priceless. No, man. no, it's adorable, bro. <laughs> just, kudos to them making it work, but yeah, but yeah. yeah. And kudos to her having his baby. I mean, like that yeah. thing is huge. <laughs> Dude, my wife, my wife is like 110 pounds. Our son was 10. I'm sorry, yeah, our son was 10 pounds. She had gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. She had to have a C-section. She has postpartum depression. <sighs> There's even a video of when she gave birth to our son. The doctor literally says, "Oh my god, it looks like a three-month-old." Because that's how big. I can only imagine <laughs> what 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 their what their baby situation was like. But it's it's tough. I look. My wife is is a soldier. I can only imagine how strong his wife is. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow, Thor in Iceland. So you trained with him every day for, for like two months, or how did that work? What I was, was, you know, his training partner for a couple of months. He was teaching me strongman, which was really cool at the time of him because he was preparing for the Arnolds. And mm -hmm. the Arnold, next to WSM, Most Strongest Man, is arguably the second, if not the most prestigious strongman show. Yeah, yeah. And he took the time out of that prep right in the middle of it 
which is super important for him. There's a big payout for him at that show as well, like a $100,000 payout if he won, which he did. Mm -hmm. And he was teaching me strong, man. It made for incredible content. I think each video we produced during that period had millions of views. It was just such a, it was such a cool collab that no one saw coming, right? Mm -hmm. And I stood up like a sore thumb there. I was the only person of color, I think, in Iceland at the time. I mean, it is Iceland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I stood out like a sore thumb. So I think people were just really interested to see me over there. Huh. And... It was, I mean, he's amazing. He's full of personality. And when he gets hyped up before he left, that's electric. You know, such a powerful voice because he's a giant, you know. Yeah. And it just makes the whole room shake when he screams. And you just feel it, like a little shiver down your back. Like, damn, that's huh. like just large. Again, and then you walk at him, you walk with him in the mall, and then he gets mopped. Half people don't know who he is, but he's so huge that everyone just yeah. stops and you can't mop hide him. him. You, can't, you can't hide him. Now DiCaprio would put a little hat yeah. on and hide in the corner. <laughs> he yeah. doesn't blend in anywhere. Yeah. Like it's impossible, you know, and he gets mobbed everywhere and it's just so cool to see. Um, but uh yeah, it's it, it was a time in my life for sure. You traveled a lot, man. I mean, you started here, then you were in Dubai for what, four years? I was in Dubai for four years, just came back to the States in January this year. Well, well first of all, welcome back. I started following you before you went to Dubai, and I started seeing the same powerlifting videos that I think. Is that what really catapulted you think social media for you? Is that the powerlifting videos were just, I mean, they were unbelievable. I, I remember seeing you early on. I was like, holy shit, this guy's moving a lot of weight and quick and easy. And then yeah. I found out how old you were. I'm like, oh, my God. So it was the mix. So I think it was my age mm. and what I was doing at my age that really made me stand out and resonate with kids because primarily the people that are on instagram consuming content are like between 16 and 25 mm -hmm. and when they saw me 18 19 20 21 slaying in big weight it was very relatable right like, oh he's like my age or he's even younger than me and he's fucking moving crazy weight because when i i mentioned that because i see the kids that are coming up now exploding yeah. and they're really young they're 20 21 and i just think like yeah I mean, when I was that age, that's when I popped off the most. That's when it was the easiest because I was the age of my demographic. Now I'm a bit out of the demographic. I'm 20, going to 29. Not all by any means, but my demographic, my biggest following, my biggest crowd is definitely from 16 to 25, hmm. right? And now that I've exited that demographic slightly, I noticed that, not that I'm becoming irrelevant yet. It's going to happen to all of us eventually one day. But I noticed now that the kids that were my age when I was exploding at that, my early 20 to late teen years are exploding. And I think it's no coincidence. You know, I think it's just more relatable when someone's the same age as you, mm. right? Um, and I do have a following, no doubt, between 25 and 35, but it's not as big as 16 and 25. Maybe because they don't have as, I mean, they, they're starting to start families or they're starting to get into work. They probably don't have yeah. the same time to dedicate. Yeah, I have a lot of people that's how I used to watch you. Oh, you know? wow, really? Yeah, it's like, yeah, when I was like, in my early 20s, when I was a teenager, like, I used to watch you all the time, you know? Oh. They still know me, of course, yeah, right? yeah. and they maybe see a video of mine every now and again, but there's a lot of people like that, that when they were younger, they used to watch me, but now, they, as you said, they matured, they maybe have a wife now, kid on the way. Yeah. You know, they're busy and working two, three jobs. Expensive. It's hard to watch YouTube, man. Yeah. So when you were coming up, and you started looking at all this stuff, who was your inspiration? Like, who, who was it that, that made you want to do this? Uh, so... There were people making content out there, like of course Bradley, Martin, yeah, yeah, and there was Simeon Panda, um, Ulysses yeah. World. Uh, these are the people that were just killing it, right? Incredible physiques, yeah, incredible yeah. physiques, just killing it, monetizing it, made a monopoly out of it. And naturally, there are people that I looked up to with the lifting world, like 
people like Thor, Eric Lilybridge, Pete Rubish. Um, but the one that looked up to in the other side of it, like making a business out of it, were the ones I just mentioned. Yeah, and all of them have seen it made a big bit. Isn't, isn't it Simeon that has like that crazy backyard gym? <sighs> it's him, right? I've been to a few nice homes, but he has the nicest. That that backyard gym is, if you guys haven't seen it on YouTube, go, Simeon's <laughs> backyard gym is unbelievable. It's just paradise. And it's not just the gym itself, but when you're there, I'm not sure if you can see it on camera too well, but his pool area is an oasis. It's like a resort-style pool right next to the gym with no roof. It's an open roof setup, huge stadium lights. So you just feel like you're in the best gym in the world. Yeah. And it's just private. It's just him with the sun hitting you because SoCal, yeah. the 87 palm trees surrounding you. It's just an oasis, right? It's perfect. That's it so can't cool. be better. And it's the world's only Gold's Home Gym. Yeah, is that is that a real thing? That's like, a real I, thing. I, I didn't... I knew that he said that during the, the interview, but I didn't realize yeah. that that was an actual thing or he was just, you know, talking a little bit shit. Yeah, it's the actual thing. Wow. Yeah, well, man. clearly he's in a different demographic as far as income goes. So, <laughs> yeah, no so like, these guys monetize their business. Let's talk about all the things you're doing to monetize yours, man. I know you got a lot in the works. You got the gym going, right? Absolutely. So, when I was in Dubai for four years, I was battling a sex addiction. Okay. And it, I got involved with online strip clubs, essentially campsites webcam models oh okay so in dubai not that it was ever a habit of mine in the states but you can't go to strip clubs in dubai there's no such thing it's yeah. illegal there yeah it's, a, yeah it's a whole religious thing and i was never into escorts or anything yeah, yeah so i ended up finding myself with an extremely high libido right you're and on a lot of gear right on a I lot mean, of gear yeah so elevate testosterone mega high libido and even though i had girlfriends at the time they knew this and they mm -hmm. did their best to help me through it um, my libido cannot be satisfied, you know? And I was hooked, you know, on these websites and getting custom videos and photos. And sure, I'm embarrassed about it, but I ended up doing the worst thing in my life is getting money involved, starting to spend on this habit. Mm -hmm. And the money is just started multiplying, you know, three-digit days, four-digit days, five-digit days, you know, like stupid money. And I look mm -hmm. back, I don't like to look back, actually, because I don't want to even think about it. It makes me sick. But a lot of money spent... Damn near all of it. Like, I had it come in easy, and I went out even easier. Um, and I think all addiction, whether it's sex addiction or drug addiction, you're going to end up in the same place, homeless or dead. And what comes after sex addiction? Drug addiction. You need to get a bigger fix. So if I were to stay on that path, then no longer would any video or photo ever prove enough. I'd end up having to stay a stronger, end up having to take a stronger stimulant. Yeah, and there's only one direction for that, right? It's, so, yeah, yeah. Right, and then that really helped me co um, relate on some level to those that end up homeless, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure it started with an innocent drug or addiction that maybe it was just weed, for example. Maybe. Yeah, there's maybe, always a gateway. Right, there's right? a gateway yeah. drug, and it just escalated and escalated and escalated. And for me, it was starting with sex addiction, and it escalated and escalated now to a webcam addiction and then the only way i was able to stop it uh, was to get my girlfriend to have view only access in my bank account and to see my transactions like a married couple yeah, yeah. and it worked and huh. that was the only way i was able to stop it um and look i found a way and i've opened up in a video about this on my channel a couple years ago or so um i've seen it yeah yeah but i thought that was incredibly brave bro like i, I there's so many people that hide behind like this i'm perfect image that it creates this false narrative for kids to look up to. And you've been so open. I mean, 
about all this stuff. I, I thought it, it's incredibly cool. That's why I think someone like you deserves the notoriety that you have. I think someone like you deserves the platform you have because so many people are afraid to talk about these things. And then what does it do? It, it makes kids embarrassed, ashamed. That's why, like on the show, like I openly talk about TRT. I openly talk about like why I need to do. It. I had a low, a low test. I openly talk about all that stuff. I, I had a hair transplant. Okay, yeah, sharp. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I talk about all this stuff because it shouldn't be a secret that we all go through problems. Not at all. And this is how we help the youth by letting them figure out how we overcome our child tribulations. Because I've told this on my channel, nothing is harder than overcoming an addiction. If you can overcome your addiction, I think we all have one inside of us. Oh yeah. For the most part, if you can overcome yourself, then everything outside of that is child's play, right? I'm going into business now with several different companies and it all is just, it's just nothing compared to the stress of knowing you're an addiction that's costing you everything. Knowing that if you don't stop now, you're going to be homeless or dead. Knowing that that's the path you're on and you can't stop it. So now when I go on these business endeavors, it's just, it's so easy. It's just, you know, I have the people around me getting stressed and I'm like, like, if you only knew, like, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's challenging. And if you can overcome it. It's just like the world's your oyster. Like, it's just you become, you get this overwhelming, overwhelming feeling of accomplishment, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's why I was so open to talking about it because the feeling of overcoming it is second to none. It's mm -hmm. like a superpower, you know? And I get it too, man. Like, even me. So I, I started off on testosterone, only a small, like, 150 milligram dose. Wasn't yeah. a huge amount. And the libido difference was palpable. I can only imagine if I was on more, plus I had any other PEDs in my system. Like, it, it could become, that's the crazy part people don't understand about chemicals. Like, is I told my wife, I don't know if you've had this, this experience, but, so I first started taking tests, right? My estrogen level spiked, mm -hmm. and I wasn't on an estrogen blocker. So I started getting, like, emotional. We were watching Peaky Blinders. It was like, a, it wasn't even an emotional scene. I was crying like a little girl. Huh. Just crying my ass. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? My wife looks at me, doesn't say anything. <laughs> then um, she comes upstairs, and I'm in the shower, and I'm like, is it hot in here? Like, what's what's going on? And then she looks at me, and I don't have my back to the shower because my nipples are super sensitive. <laughs> my wife, I get out of the shower, my wife comes in, and she's like, you know you're going through menopause right now, right? I'm like, what? And she like, broke it down to me. And I, you know, I'm a man. I'm stupid. I don't really I can understand my body. And that's when I was like, okay, oh my, like, hormones can change the way you think and feel. And if you're not vigilant, that shit can get out of, out of whack Cra crazy. Yeah, it's dangerous. Big yeah. time. Seriously. It was a major distraction for me, major distraction. And that's part of the reason why, for the better now that I'm here in the States making all these moves that I wasn't able to make in Dubai. But during my time in Dubai, I didn't make any business moves. You know, I had a business partner that was, I should say, a person that was willing to be a business partner and mm -hmm. open a gym with me in Dubai. Now, he was an engineer that worked for the world family. He was a brilliant man, like in his late, early 50s or so. And he was like, so if no one's approached you to open a gym, why? And mm. I just said, I don't know. I, was, <laughs> I have no idea. And maybe because I'm here and not in the States. And he said, let's do it. I'm like, okay. Knowing in the back of my head, like, well, I'm bringing my money like every day right now. It's a zero. So I, I was just winging it, hoping that I can fix my problem in time where I need the capital to put into the gym with him. And turns out that he needed more money than I could afford. But if I were able to not have that problem I had, it would be no problem. And we'd have a gorgeous gym in Dubai because he was willing to put in millions into the gym and the project. He was fully invested in the idea. He liked me as a person. He knew that if I were to open a gym together with him, that it was going to be a hit. He was 
You know, he was very confident in that idea. Um, but, you know, I couldn't follow through with it. You know, and I was the one at fault. And that's when I think about people in general that don't get where they want to be. It's likely because they're making a mistake. They're the problem. It's always you that's the problem, right? Mm -hmm. And at that time in my life, it was me. I was the only reason I wasn't further along in life. I wasn't more successful. Yeah, but how old were you right then? Um, I was in my mid twenties to late mid. Like I was, uh, we're talking like in the last four years prior to this year. So. Yeah, but, I mean, look, you're still young. So I'm 43, yeah. and I got to tell you, I look back on my early twenties, mid twenties, and I think, man, like, as much as as I know I was an adult and like I was good, time is this crazy perspective. I made I made decisions back then that changed my financial position forever. Now without even realizing it, and and the worst part about it is, is sometimes it's just luck, and sometimes it's just time. But you don't get to choose sometimes. You just get that path. Right. You know? So, I mean, that path led you here. Right? Absolutely. And and now you're talking about your gym. Who's your partner in the gym? So I partnered with my coach, uh, Ryan Benson. Who sounds like the ideal partner, right? Absolutely. He's 44. Mm -hmm. And he used to work as a judge for Mr. Olympia. He has 25 years training IPB pros and Olympians, both male and female. He has over 600 active clients. He's born and raised in Claremont, the city that we're opening a gym in. And... He just has so many relationships because he has treated people right all this time. And now he's cashing in on those favors and those um, relationships. And, I mean, he's just really pulling his weight, you know, more than I ever thought he could, to be honest. I had no idea mm -hmm. what this would develop into, but he's really pulling his weight big time. Um, and he ended up negotiating a deal for both of us with equity position in Tough Stuff. You know, equity position oh, wow. in White Rabbit, uh, Labored Kratom Seltzer, which is the only product like the, of its kind on the market. Yeah. You know, and Tough Tough, for example, is a $20 million valuation company. That's not profiting like $4 million a year, for example. So it's like these are big deals that mm -hmm. he's bringing to the table, right? And then, um, of course, the gym itself. And he has childhood friends that uh, specialize in a franchise model. So we're looking to have multiple locations, and they're helping us for free pro bono uh, with all the legality of it, which would cost us tens of thousands of dollars. Again, this is a contact of his, you know? So mm -hmm. it's just um, the timing could have been more perfect because when I first met him in January, he um, was going to open a gym with another person that he said stabbed him back a couple times, and it was just a rocky relationship, you know? And that person ended up bad-mouthing both of us, because uh, we were going to take a gym location that he was going to take with Ryan um, over at um, uh, Team Sweat Fitness in uh, San Dimas, right? Mm -hmm. That was our initial uh, location we were going to choose. Like We were ready to sign the paper, but there were some uh, delays with the landlord over five months that we decided, like, this is never going to happen, so let's move on to another location, which ended up being even better because now we're getting – great TIs and it's a better space for content, more open, it's just even bigger, it's at a better price. So there's a lot of projects happening at the moment um, that really just started happening since like, the day I got back to LA. Cause I, went, I met Ryan not even a few days after I got back to the States at LA Fit Expo. Um, well, that's when we started talking at least. Yeah. When we started talking. And then not even a few days after that, we decided to go into the, uh, um, the gym business together. Um, and it's his first public gym as well. So he's had a few private gyms, but this is his first public one. Um, and I feel like I'm making moves now that 
are going to keep me afloat five, ten years in the future when I'm not in the spotlight anymore. Or maybe I don't want to be in the spotlight anymore. Maybe I want to be the guy behind the scenes, you know? Hmm. But I'm thinking I'm really taking care of my future now with these equity positions. And it's just, I think the world has a funny way of rewarding you when you can conquer yourself and your inner demons like I have um, from my addiction. And now that that's free and clear, it's like a whole world of opportunities opens itself up for me. Wow. You know? So, I mean, I got to imagine most of your demographics in the U.S., right? Absolutely. And I built a... Uh, I built a significant following in Dubai, right. um, but majority is in the States. So I would imagine if you open a gym here versus there, you're probably going to get more just social awareness here, right? Right. And not only is it my biggest demographic here in the States, it's primarily in California. Yeah. Right? So opening it here in SoCal, I think is a no-brainer that most of the people that watch my content are right here. So naturally, they're going to be more inclined to go to my gym. And it's my first gym, and we're not holding back. We're not pulling any punches. We're looking to do everything right because uh, I think first impressions are really important. So oh, I saw that video you posted. Um, you're tearing down walls left and right. You're bringing in new equipment every month. Like So he stalked well, you is what he's saying. Yeah. <laughs> That's just what I do. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you're making it hard to be good cop, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. And we started the demo last Monday. Um, it's a big demo, but we're getting through it, and they're holding ass, to be fair. So we're getting equipment made literally by the day over at Tough Stuff. And we have a couple of patented equipment already that we're super pumped to reveal. Um, they're out there too, right? They're Yeah. 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 They're not even 15 minutes away. Okay. You know? Um, so it's just everything is falling into place. Um, and there is that feeling of it's too good to be true. Like something's going to probably go wrong now. But then I think, well, I mean, I just battled that problem for four years so maybe it's about time that i'm able to reap the, the benefits of being who i am in my position now yeah you know? i mean look life's ups and downs man just because you're getting a lot of up right now doesn't mean that there's a down coming but look it sounds like like you want to prepare for the future and you've thought about not being in the spotlight is that is that something that you think about in the future like you know maybe kids marriage on the road like that's the way to go or well i just think that it's not realistic to say that 10 years from now, I'm going to be 38, and I don't know how social media is going to evolve, mm. and I don't know if I'm going to have the same presence or relativity as other people that are potentially more relevant at the time or new up-and-comers 10 years later. And is, can I depend on doing what I'm doing now as an entertainer 10 years later, I don't think it's safe to think to say to think that I can. I'm going to tell you something that's wild, and you may or may not believe this, but it's true. We've interviewed a lot of people on the show, and I spend my day job is dealing with entrepreneurs, business people. And uh, the overriding commonality with entrepreneurs is that same like underlying fear. They usually love what they do. They're passionate about it. That's why they can do it every single day, which is clearly obvious in what you're doing. No doubt. But that underlying fear is always there, and everyone's always trying to diverse. I do this all the time too. I was just telling, I was telling Arun and Saeed a while back. Like, I want this podcast to get bigger because I want to focus more on this and less on those other things. Because you always worry about one thing or another going away, no doubt. And that's it's it's. I think it's just human nature. I think fear keeps us cautious and meticulous. Maybe. I think when you're not fearful, you're reckless. Mm -hmm. I imagine we had the mindset like everything's going to be fine. Yeah, that can't be good. That can't be a good mindset to have. 
It's think, actually a ruins mindset pretty much every day. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's, that, that, that is that is his. Yeah, everything will be fine. <laughs> See? Everything will be okay. But then, what do you do when you're not prepared when it isn't? Because when you're fearful, like I said, you're cautious, you're meticulous, and you're maybe over preparing yourself. Right. Like you said, whilst entrepreneurs, we try our best to prevent failure. Um, by diversifying our portfolio. So if one thing goes away, we have several other things that we worked on that are now profitable and mm -hmm. keeping us afloat and sustaining our lifestyle. Um, but I think being like embracing that fear and realizing that's your body's way of telling you to not get too comfortable and that you don't know what's right, right around the corner because the world and life's unpredictable, that you just have to be extra cautious. And you and I, are in a very privileged position relative to most people in the world. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, are hungry for where we're at right now. And I think we have to be cautious to keep not only our lifestyle, but to to elevate ourselves. And I, I embrace it. I think there's no other way to handle that emotion. I think you just have to embrace it and realize it's keeping you where you're at and keeping you uh, lurching forward. Piggybacking off what you just said, looking back at your journey, right? You said that there are a lot of financial lessons that you learned. What would you say is the biggest lesson that you learned? And you keep talking about these young, up and coming, like um, bodybuilders and and uh, is this like other... a six part question or what? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, what advice would you give to them, the young entrepreneurs? Really, I mean, I think this advice is as old as time itself, but. You are a product of your environment. And when I started surrounding myself with people mm. that were just better at the things I want to do, for example, when I wanted to buy a home, well, I met the person um, that actually is a CEO of Loan Vault and specializes in um, uh, home finance. And he taught me about the whole process and where I should park my money. And during when I was living in Dubai, all I wanted was to protect my money from myself. So going back to that question of advice to give to up-and-coming entrepreneurs that are suddenly hit with all this fame and fortune that maybe they don't know how to handle is as quickly as you can until you figure out what to do with it, protect your money from yourself. Put it in a place where you can't touch it. Wow. I didn't know how to do that in Dubai. And, you know, now I think it's common sense. Like, oh, just buy a home and then you can't easily liquidate that cash. You got to put it on the market. You got to sell it. Mm -hmm. You're not going to sell it at a loss for an impulsive purchase. So right now I figured, okay, until I find a better way, buying a home, buying real estate is the best way to protect your money from yourself. Because especially me, and I know the people that are up and comers, young guys in their late teens, early 20s, we're more impulsive by nature. We see, you know, we're more influenced by what's cool and trendy, like a cool car, nice watches, you know, nice designer clothes. So it's easy to make impulsive purchases like that if it's just in your bank account sitting there. But if it's parked in real estate, you can't just go to sell your house to buy a car or a watch. Or you got to really think that through. You're not going to do that. Bro, I can hug you right now. Uh, <laughs> so my back, you probably don't know this. I started buying real estate um, in my mid-20s, about like one home a year in the Midwest. My sister lives out there, so it's easy to property manage it for me, right? She's in real estate. Oh, yeah. Started off one property a year, then it was two properties a year, then it was two properties every year for a couple of years, and then it kind of escalated a little bit, and then went from different property types. And that, that's how I protected myself from that. I went through a small period of time where I had like the high-end cars and I had like the, the Rolexes and all that stuff. And then I got a watch stolen in Rome and I realized, I'm like, if it can go that fast. Wow. Like it can yeah. literally just go like gone, right? Yeah. I, I looked in the mirror one day and I'm like, what am I doing this for? Like, where does this all go? The car's all 
depreciate in value. The right. watches can can be gone overnight. And even then, like who cares? So now I wear an Apple Watch. And I, I mean, I drive a 2015 Jeep. I mean, I, I love my lifestyle. I love what I have, but I protected it from myself without even knowing that was the advice. And no one ever gave me that. A lot of people in my family, and I love them to death, they're, they're like the spending type. They'll spend it when they have it. And they're, they're the ones who are always constantly worried. And I, it's, I feel like when you're so worried about having money in the moment, you're not thinking about how to make more money later on because you're just trying to survive. Right. And that, that's where you can, you can get really stagnant, you know? No doubt. Absolutely. So I did, I did have a question I want to ask you because so much, you have a tremendous following on YouTube, on Instagram, and now you're finding ways to bring people to your businesses, right? To bring, to monetize it in a way that's like respectful of your personal brand. Do you still try to curate that brand? Are, are you still your own social media manager? Are you still running things? I am, and I think that's a flawed way to handle it. I think that I'm not scaling at the rate I want to scale it because I have I don't have the infrastructure to do so. Mm. I don't have the people employed that are better at what I'm trying to do. So, but I, you have had tremendous success with it, no doubt. Yeah, but to get to that next level to elevate, I need help. I need a right. I need the right infrastructure. I need the right team. You know, I need a content director, for example, and I need someone to keep everything organized. I think I need more hands on deck. You mm -hmm. know, I think if I were to just be content where I'm at and ride that until it stops, then I don't need what I just said. But I think to get to the next level, to keep climbing the ladder, I need more hands on deck. And um, I, I, what I'm doing can only get me so far without the team I just mentioned. And there is a world where you can pivot your brand to have more like longevity. You can be the 38 year old Larry wheels doing something slightly different, but still in the space. Absolutely. Know? And it was hard to put money back into the business when I was having an addiction. So yeah. my four years in Dubai, while I was climbing the social media ladder, getting more notoriety, getting more renown, I wasn't able to invest into myself like I should have been, like someone without an addiction would have been able to. Because mm. now I'm starting to have that mindset because, wait, I just have this cash sitting around that I never had before because I'm not blowing it on a daily basis. You know, I'm not spending it on the thing that I was that was draining me dry for years. So now I'm able to think a bit differently. Okay, now I can just, I realize I need very little to survive on day to day. You know, mm. so now I can put that uh, extra cash back into the business like I should have been doing. And that, that means employing more people that can do what I can't do and just getting more hands on deck. Um, and but what I have learned, too, is that for those up and coming, you can get quite far just with a couple people. Like I yeah. got to where I'm at essentially with, of course, me being the talent and then my um, videographer, Adam. Right. I would perform the talent, I'd do the lift, whatever it was, I'd um, do that, and then he would film it, and he'd edit it, and that was it. We were just producing videos for eight years, right? And wow. that got us quite far. I brought so much opportunity, created so much value over time, but it was really just him and I, mm. you know? That was it. So, but to get to that next level, financially, it, it, there needs to be a, a proper team and proper infrastructure. And I watch podcasts. I consume a lot of podcast content. And the owner of Gymshark um, says on this podcast, yeah, you just need the right infrastructure, you know? Very savvy businessman. For his age and his position in life, he, he grew that company in an astonishing fashion. 
Yeah. I, I, respect. I it's, it's incredible. I, for the, anybody who listens to the show, you haven't followed his story. He has a great podcast, number one. But number two, his just Wikipedia or Google him, it, it's an incredible story of just like with so many brands saturated in the fitness space, he's been able to grow that in, in a way that really outpaced even like the big brands like Nike and everybody else. Yeah. Found a niche and carved it out. In a very short time. Yeah, and he didn't have like the, the backing of followers that you have. That's what's even more impressive to me. Yeah. That's what's even more impressive. Yeah. I, I look at, so I, I could go on it long, but I, I looked at, um, a couple of years ago, I looked at The Rock and Kevin Hart, and I realized that they were signing contracts for themselves to be in movies, mm -hmm. but then if they wanted them to market them, their social media, on their social media, that was a separate contract. Interesting. So you were paying millions more for Kevin Hart's social media, even if you were paying millions to Kevin Hart to be in your movie. Okay, and that's how he leveraged his social media play to really grow his other businesses around his social media brand. And then it was Will Smith who figured out like, why is The Rock getting all these amazing roles? Like, why is he considered like one of the best high pay, highest paid actors in the country? Because Will Smith is like, I'm a better actor than him, right? Obviously, pre Jada Smith and the whole <laughs> yeah, the whole situation, but whatever. But right. so he hired a team and went out for a full year just filming content to grow his social media presence so that he could market himself along the same way that all these guys. So what I'm trying to say is there's such tremendous value in what you already have like in place. Like I'm, I'm excited to see where you grow with it, man. I'm, I'm incredibly excited. That was a great example, by the way. Was it? That was a great example. Oh, you know, I do this every once in a while, <laughs> but do you want to talk at all about the podcast you guys are, you're planning or is that like a down low thing? We're not talking about that yet or it's very early on. Okay. We only filmed my first episode with Juji Mufu and Magnus to rock climber. Mm -hmm. And that's a really interesting combination as well. I never thought that was a duo that would ever happen, but they're knocking on content, content together whenever Magnus is here in the States. Um, and we have the idea to have uh, two studios. One is going to be in the gym, right? And the other is going to be in a bus, much like Steve-O. Uh, because LA is enormous. And even though most people that we'd want on the podcast are here in LA, it could be, you know, an hour to drive 15 miles. And these guys are busy, you know. Are they really going to take the time out of the day, most of them, to drive over an hour, maybe two hours, maybe three hours in traffic to our gym all the way in Claremont to do a podcast? You know, it's probably not. So we're thinking, you know what, let's do it in the bus, go to them, right? Mm -hmm. And it's going to be much more likely that they're going to be um, willing to come on our podcast. But, you know, that's... Um, that's the gist of it. We only filmed the first episode. Uh, we're in the middle of our gym build out, and we don't want to ex overextend ourselves too much. So we're gonna film more once the gym's open. You got so many irons in the fire right now. So, so I, I swear, I only got a couple more questions, and I'll, I'll let you go because I know it's, it's kind of late. But I mean, what's your, what's your, if you had to pick one that you're most passionate about right now that you're chasing, like which one would you say is like I? This is the one I want to see grow like right now. Ah, uh, that's the gym. The gym. Easy. The gym. It's it's really neck and neck with the equipment company, Tough Stuff, mm -hmm. because it currently has a big evaluation, and I think that it could be scaled quicker and more lucrative. But then the gym, we have majority equity in because it's ours, yeah. and there's really no other hands in it. And we have tremendous help from Ryan's contacts. Even the owner of Olympia is involved, and it's it's just they're both extremely exciting. But I think the gym edges it out just a bit because – that's just the birth of everything. 
right? Yeah. Plus, or, you can grow the equipment from the usage in the gym, plus the it exposure. Goes hand in yeah, hand, yeah. You know? I get that. But the gym has also been so fruitful for me and many other up-and-comers in the fitness industry that I think it's only natural I have an iconic gym, you know? And I think the expectations are really high, and when we're overconfident, we're going to exceed those. Oh, I'm sure you will. I'm, yeah. When does it open up, brother? When, when am I coming in? When am I looking seeing at this? November? But November, don't, quote, okay. don't quote me. Wow, that, that's, November. That's quick. They're hauling, man. They're hauling. Okay. Yeah. Equipment in, operating by November. Everything, lights on, PRs going. We're gonna do a soft launch, maybe even earlier than that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, expect to see my ass in the gym working out. Not a room, though. A room will not be working. Out. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come. Yeah. No. You, well, you'll come well, and watch. I'll, I'll yeah. come in with a glizzy. Yeah. yeah. Like, you got it. Is it the glizzy. glizzy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, I appreciate you, Larry. I'm gonna put it all everything that Larry's associated with that he wants you to see will be in the show notes, and you can certainly click over to all of his profile, which will be there as well. You got YouTube. You got Instagram. You got all the socials. Yeah, and I just started on Snap. Oh, did so you really? Please follow okay. me there, too. I'm snapping every day, everything. All right, all the links are in the show notes. Larry, thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me, Chris. Yes, sir.